0: Welcome once again to Proclaiming the Word, Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. Today we are looking at St. John Day, Apostle and Evangelist, and that day is recognized and celebrated throughout the church on December 27, December 27. Pastor, what do we know about St. John? What can you tell us?
1: Well, uh, we know actually quite a bit about St. John. We know St. John's hometown was Capernaum, which became the headquarters for Jesus' ministry. We know that John is the only one of the uh, 12 who actually saw Jesus on the cross. And he's also the first one who was in the tomb to see his resurrection. We know that St. John also, according to church tradition, uh, was exiled to the island of Patmos and was one of the last apostles that is living. Uh, and uh, uh, we know in fact, that um, he had people that he taught that we have extra biblical writings from, uh, for example, Polycarp of Smyrna. Uh, and so we, we have a lot
0: of information about St. John, uh, both from the scriptures and from church history. We have, uh, we have in John, the apostle, uh, a very, very prolific writer. Now, can we be sure that these writings that the church attributes to John were actually written by John?
1: I I think we can be fairly certain with that because the language is very similar in all of them. We also um, know, for example, that the themes are very similar, and we also have uh, early attestation from those uh, early church fathers that uh, verify these things as well. And so, for example, having those um, disciples of St. John, if you will, the people who learned the Christian faith right from St. John, uh, say that these are his writings is a pretty good
0: attestation that they are in fact is so we have the gospel of john we have the three letters or epistles of john and then we have uh, i know one of your favorite books the revelation of saint john so we have this uh this big wide corpus of writings different genres we have a gospel we have epistles we have an apocalyptic writing and all of those are represented in our readings for today, the day that we remember and celebrate St. John, Apostle, and Evangelist. We uh, we have a hymn that we, we use as bumper music by All Your Saints in Warfare, LSB 517 and 518, lots and lots of verses. We sing this a lot at Good Shepherd, and one of the reasons we sing it is because they have an individual verse for each of the minor festival days. And I think uh, verse 8 Uh, the one that's appointed for St. John Apostle and Evangelist Day, is really good. For your beloved disciple, exiled to Patmos Shore, and for his faithful record, we praise you evermore. Praise for the mystic vision through him to us revealed. May we in patience waiting with your elect be sealed. Pastor, uh, the fact that John did write so much, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, uh, really gives us an opportunity to delve deep into the writings of St. John the Apostle. And St. John's writings show up pretty much everywhere all the time in our liturgical church year. So many of these John writings we encounter on a regular basis uh how should a Christian think or feel about that well I I think um
1: How should they feel about it? It's kind of a weird Lutheran question, uh, just to be honest. But I I think they they should rejoice at that fact. I think uh, John is an extremely bright guy. He's a very good writer, which in itself is not a miracle, considering that he's actually born and raised as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. But he writes in a very simple, straightforward fashion, and yet the depth of theology that he writes about and the things that he teaches in all of his scriptures that he writes uh are you I mean you can spend your whole lifetime studying it and learning more and more and getting further and further in depth and so I think he's a good starting point into studying the scriptures uh, and once you start to read and study his his words that he wrote uh, you really can't ever stop because there's always something more to be
0: learned from them. Okay, two two other little introductory things that I want to talk about. Uh, first of all, when when you study Greek, uh, whether you're at the seminary or just uh, doing it for fun, oftentimes you begin with some of the writings of John because they are written in a very simple, straightforward way. Uh, what what should we know about that? The fact. Uh, and I know uh, the revelation of saint john is much more intricate but especially the gospel of john and uh, his his epistles the fact that his uh, his greek is pretty simple and pretty easy well it, it definitely is and in
1: fact if you're going to compare it to English you'd say it's kind of a down home style you know where you're uh your all grandpa sh- all says, shucks kind of stuff you know uh, grandma says to me the other day that we ought to go down to the store uh that sort of thing uh that's the same way that John writes and so he does not have a mastery of the classical greek style say like uh saint Luke does and yet uh he, he is proficient enough in it because that was a major language of communication, and so he's really writing almost in spoken Greek style rather than written Greek style, and as a result, it makes it very, very
0: accessible uh, and, and easy for us to understand. I like that word, uh, accessible. Now, between the Apostle John and uh, St. Paul, we have probably about 70, 75% of the corpus of the New Testament. There, when you get into academic circles, you have people that are experts in Pauline theology, people that are experts in Johannine theology, and many times they want to pit Paul against John in the study of the New Testament. Why, Pastor, I mean, of course you've heard of this, Uh, you went to the seminary, Um, why is this a foolish and fruitless endeavor?
1: Well, it's uh, foolish and fruitless because uh, it makes an assumption before it even begins that they have different theology, and that's just not the case. They're both Christian, and they're both teaching the same theology. They might approach things from a different way of explaining it, but they're both saying the same things just in different ways. And that's actually beneficial to us in the church because not everybody thinks the same way. And so to have multiple people writing in multiple ways and explaining things slightly differently, but meaning the same thing is beneficial for us. so that everybody is able to understand the gospel. The, the idea of Pauline and Johannine and even Petrine doctrine being different is uh, simply an academic maneuver that
0: um, really shouldn't bother the christian and they shouldn't worry that much about it okay thank you thank you for that i just i felt we needed to throw that out there let's get into the readings the gospel reading for the celebration of saint john apostle and evangelist is john 21 20 to 25 vicar
2: peter turned and saw the disciple whom jesus loved following them the one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said lord who is it that is going to betray you When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written.
0: Okay, here we have the last verses of John's Gospel, and it almost seems when you read the Gospel of John, it almost seems like you have... uh, two different endings because the gospel of John chapter 20 has kind of an ending and then you've got a whole other chapter that comes and then you've got uh, a different ending that focuses on something else. Pastor, a little bit about this, um, what uh, what is talked about here in these last verses of John 21, about the uh, rumor that uh, uh, came about, the saying spread abroad, among the brothers that this disciple was not to die yet. Jesus never said he wasn't going to die. What's, what's this all about? Well, um, it's, it's John basically talking about himself and the things that he's
1: heard. So when he meets someone, uh, the the rumor is, is that he's not going to die because of these words that Christ said to him before Christ ascended. Uh, and, and there's some idea that the, even John was the last living of the 12 apostles, and so that rumor really could get going in that way because all the rest had passed away. All the other eyewitnesses were no longer able to be interviewed. Um, church history tells us that St. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. um, And the reason he's exiled is because they tried to execute him by boiling him alive in hot oil, and it didn't kill him. And so that also probably fed into this idea a little bit. Now, the question is, did John write this before or after that? And that's simply something that we just don't know. But there's the rumors that kind of surrounded him. And John says, no, Christ didn't say I wasn't going to die. He just said that uh, it's not your business, Peter. Uh, And I think that's really a great thing. That's one of the things John oftentimes is doing. And I think perhaps indicates that there was kind of a raising of Peter to a special status already in the early church. And John wants people to make sure they know that Peter is just a, I want to say it this way, a regular apostle like the others as well so that there's not some sort of cult uh, around St. Peter, you know, with a headquarters at a big fancy church in middle of Rome or something like that. John doesn't want to see that happen, even though uh, perhaps it already is.
0: We, we want to put uh, rank and title and official with uh, people today. It's not uncommon that they would have wanted to do the same thing back then. And, uh, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying enough of that, no nonsense to that. And that's one of the things I'm especially thankful for in the Lutheran confessions, because a pastor is a pastor is a pastor. Uh, Any rank or uh, title or power and authority that is given is by human arrangement, not by divine arrangement. All pastors uh, in the church share that uh, that equal status, if you will, not one above the other. Pastor, I know we're getting a little short on time heading into our uh, first break, but in verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come. We pray in the Lord's prayer, thy will be done. Can you get us at least started with a discussion on why a Christian prays? Um, if it be thy will, it almost seems like a like a caveat or an easy way out to uh, make an excuse that God won't or doesn't answer prayer. And how does that connect us? Maybe when we come back from the break, how does that connect us to Jesus' words here? If it is my will,
1: yeah. Um, well. In the ten seconds I have to answer, <laughs> um, I'm sorry I did that. No, to that's you. okay. Uh, the The Christian isn't just trying to make excuses for God, but rather it's an acknowledgement that God's will is beyond our comprehension to some extent. We don't understand why the everyday things happen or how God is going to work in the world. Uh, it, beyond promising to work through word and sacrament to make Christians. And uh, the things that are beyond that
0: uh, are a little bit out of our control, and it's just an acknowledgment of that fact. Okay. We'll pick up on that topic when we come back as we look at St. John, Apostle and Evangelist. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Don't change that dial.
3: You are listening to KNNA lp 95.7 fm lincoln nebraska
0: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at the special feast day for St. John Apostle and Evangelist, celebrated on December 27th throughout the church. We are um, looking at the readings for St. John the Apostle Day, and you know, there are so many things that happen so quickly after Christmas. We have St. Stephen on December 26, St. John on December 27, the um, uh, Holy Innocents on December 28, and so we got a lot of things, and we try to celebrate as many of the minor festivals as we can here at Good Shepherd, and oftentimes St. John just kind of gets lost in the uh, shuffle, and I don't feel too bad about that, because the writings of John appear all the time especially at the high and holy feast days in the church and so we have an opportunity uh, not to talk about the man john so much as uh, the theology that john is bringing to us by grace through faith under the inspiration of the holy spirit as i as i look at the readings for the day kind of the general corpus of these uh appointed readings for saint john day i can't help but think that the focus is on the word of god the word of god the bible the word of god and so uh we i hope and pray that this um comes clear as we uh, look at these readings. Again, I'm Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele. We're privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pastor, when we uh, ended our first segment, we were talking about the will of God, and I threw a, a kind of a triple-loaded question at you right before the break. I apologize for that, but I want to pick up on that now that we're back. We were talking about the will of God, and I asked a question about, uh, you know, sometimes non-Christians look at Christians when they pray, and we pray, you know, uh, I pray that uh, Uncle Albert would uh, make it successfully through his hip surgery, uh, not my will, but thy will be done. And non-Christians look at that, and they say, oh, that's just kind of an easy out to uh, to give God an excuse. Um that kind of a thing. You gave an excellent uh, answer in the short time that I gave you. Could we say, Pastor, that by praying a prayer, any prayer in that respect, not my will but thy will be done, is an act of faith and an, an acknowledgement that my desires, my wants, my wishes are not the most important thing in the history of the world? I, th- I think that
1: we could definitely say that that's a certain amount of it. I, I think uh, important to understand God's will is to go back to what the, the catechism says, because I think the catechism does a really good job. What's the will of God? God's will is that he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, that don't want us to hollow God's name or let his kingdom come, and that he strengthen and keep us firm in his word and faith until we die. And that's God's will, not just for me, but for all the people in the entire world world. Now how's God going to accomplish that uh, is beyond my comprehension and understanding. And so I have to have faith that that's what he's doing as he Uh, brings things about in the world, you know. And so, for example, we've had pandemic here, right? Um, And why? What kind of a God would do that? Well, uh, the will of God is that all people come to the faith uh, and that uh, Satan is hindered and destroyed. Uh, And in this pandemic, I think we can definitely say God has worked that to a certain extent. We've seen lots of people that haven't been a part of a church coming and wondering what's going on and needing some sort of... uh, um, fulfillment from God and and wanting to ask questions about it, and God is bringing them to the faith through this process, through the Word, definitely. I mean, it's not independently like he's causing us to suffer, and that will lead us to the Christian faith, but it's allowing the Word to go out and hearts that are hardened
0: to be softened, perhaps, is the way to say it. So we have a clear word from God that uh, we know what his will is, Mm -hmm. and When we do not have a clear word of God, like Uncle Albert's hip surgery, we bring our prayers and petitions to the Lord, and at the same time, we say, since we don't have a clear word from you, we don't know what your will is, Lord, and so we're committing or commending this to your divine power, knowledge, understanding, trusting that you will do what is best for us.
1: And and perhaps the will of God is that uh, Uncle Albert uh, is in the faith and is going to be taken from this world to his eternal home and that's the way God works and we don't understand why or when. Uh, and so from a human perspective, you know, we have to say along with Paul McCartney and wings, we're so sorry, uncle Albert. Um, that's bad. we, we understand that God is working behind the scenes to accomplish the things we just mentioned before.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, uh, I think this is a fitting discussion based on this particular text because many people wrestle with theological and uh, religious and uh, uh, philosophical kind of questions when, uh, you know, pandemic times, when there's earthquakes or blizzards or other times when, when there's loss of life involved and why why this person lives and why this person does not live, uh, especially this happens in people that I've seen when somebody who's really old continues to live like in a nursing home and somebody who's really young dies and then they're wrestling with why me, why couldn't I have gone, I'm ready to go and we, we, we struggle with all of these kind of things and this question of life. The beginning of life and the end of life, this is in God's hands, not in ours. We trust that, and we trust that, as we sing in one of our hymns, the will of God is always best.
1: And I think I'd focus, rather than on these questions, on what Jesus says. He says, "Um, why do you care about all these other people? Uh, I'm accomplishing my will. You are supposed to follow me. And In a sense, he's saying, take care of yourself. And I don't mean that we can bring ourselves to the faith, but we need to make sure we're taking ourselves to where the gifts are and trusting that God is going to work what is necessary where it, uh, he needs to as well. And so um, my, my children, have been we've been reading out loud to them the Chronicles of Narnia, and uh, I think C.S. Lewis makes a good point there. The Aslan Jesus figure says, um, I'm not here to tell you about someone else's story. Worry about your own story. Worry about your own faith in that sense. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. Um yeah take care of your own faith, go to church, hear the word, receive the sacraments, and uh, he'll take care of all the other things the way they need to be taken care of. And he's much smarter than we are, so we can trust him to do that.
0: Very good. Very good. I like that. Uh, Vicar, in verse 24, it says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Uh, What is that verse all about? Uh, Who is it about? And is it some kind of uh, bragging that's going on here?
2: No, it's it's not bragging. It's kind of like uh, St. Like John's signature, so to speak, without really saying his name. He's being very humble about it. He's talking about himself a bit in the third person, but he's pretty much saying, I'm the one who's writing these things, and I saw these things, and these things <coughs> are true. And so it's... It's his own testimony. It's his own stamp of approval and authority that these things that are written are true because I saw them, and this is my catalog of what I saw. experience, and I'm transmitting to you.
0: Yeah, you you make a great point. Uh, John is very, very humble in his gospel, does not mention himself by name, uh, refers to himself always in the third person or with a descriptor. And uh, so we shouldn't look at this as any kind of uh, bragging, just uh, I'm telling the truth, so help me God. And I think that's a a really, really good thing for us to uh, be sure and certain of, Uh, he's not lying, he's not being bribed, he's telling the truth, and he goes on. And uh, this last verse, Pastor, catches a lot of people off guard, and uh, it really leads to a lot of maybe foolish speculation in the church. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. First of all, what is John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually saying there in verse 25? And why is it foolish to use this verse as a quest to search for other writings about Jesus that may yet, To be discovered by some Archaeological dig
1: Well I mean it's definitely possible there'd be Some other writings about Jesus that could be Discovered and it's possible that Maybe some of them were true Um, But these things are written that you may believe That Jesus is the Christ the Son of God All that you need uh, Has been written and recorded and widely, widely disseminated the most published uh, materials in all the world. And uh, uh, John is saying Jesus did a lot of things because I think John also knows that Jesus is the Word uh, who was there at the beginning, who created things, who was there with Moses, who was there with uh, all the other Old Testament people. And so John is just acknowledging that there's so much about God that could be written that we are Unable to actually physically accomplish it. And uh, he's just making a statement there about the nature of God rather than you ought to really pay attention in case there's some new gospel of St. Thomas, part three that talks about his 83 wives or something like that that comes about. That's, that's not his point at all.
0: Yeah, there, there are a lot of people on the History Channel or National Geographic Channel that uh, make a lot of hay about some new discovered manuscript, and it's usually some old Gnostic thing that's been around for a long time. Uh, but um, I hadn't thought about that verse in relation to the fact, all the things that God has done, I was thinking about that verse in relation to the nature of the Bible, the nature of the Scriptures. What are we to look to the Scriptures for? It seems like John is saying uh, we could have wrote a lot. We could have written a lot more. There's a lot more that could be said, but these things are here. These things are for you. And so what does that teach us with regard to the nature of the Holy Scripture as far as its completeness and as far as its clarity?
1: Well, like I said a minute ago, I think that that's the reality is that uh, there is so much about God that we can't actually write it all down. And... Again, who's the one who's working faith? The things that are necessary uh, are recorded for us in the Scripture, just like I quoted. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We sing that in our liturgy, teaching us about the completeness of the Scriptures, um, but it's also written by St. John in his Gospel uh, to teach us uh, what the purpose of the Scriptures are, that we might believe. And so God has told us enough that we can believe and have faith and be saved, um, but we don't need to understand understand, for example, the interconnectedness within the Holy Trinity between the Father and the Son perfectly. We have some speculation, we can talk a lot about it, and we can write a thousand-page book about it, um, but we don't really understand
0: anything beyond what God tells us in His Word. And what He has given us is sufficient. Uh, the, the verse that Pastor quoted several times there, John twenty thirty one, just happens to be the antiphon. For the Introit for Saint John Apostle and Evangelist Day, we need to take a break. When we come back. We're going to look at our first reading, Revelation one one to six. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
3: You are listening to KNNALP ninety five point seven FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. Today we're looking at St. John Apostle and Evangelist Day celebrated on December 27th throughout the church. This is Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship, would you please? Every Sunday, 8 and 1030, with Sunday school for all ages in between. We also gather about 50 or 51 Wednesdays throughout the year. There are a, a few minor uh Changes to that, but Wednesday evenings at 630, unless there's some other celebration going on during the week, like Christmas, and uh, then we make some changes. But uh, other than that, you can pretty much count on Wednesday evenings throughout the year. Anything that we do as far as worship at Good Shepherd, we play on our radio station KNNA 95.7 LP right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can check us on the website, the cross957.org if you are outside our listening area, download the app. We also have daily video devotions and many of our worship services are available on YouTube. You just do a simple search for Good Shepherd Lutheran Church Media. Uh We love it when you tune in, we love it even more when you show up in person, and we especially like your feedback. Today we're parking a car on December 27th, St. John Apostle and Evangelist. We're dedicating this year with our Proclaiming the One programs to looking at some of the Days and Bible readings that don't necessarily have an opportunity to be studied or examined in great detail. We're looking at many of the minor festivals, feast days, and occasions in the church. The first reading uh, usually is the Old Testament reading, but it's the first reading because it's not from the Old Testament. The first reading for saint john apostle and evangelist day the first six verses of the revelation of saint john i thought it was interesting the gospel reading were the last six verses of the gospel of john and now we have the first six verses of the revelation of saint john vicar take it away
2: the revelation of jesus christ which god gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place
0: Amen. 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 Great words here. The uh, introduction, so to speak, of the revelation of St. John, where uh, we have uh, quite an introduction in chapter one, and then in, uh, I don't know, early on in chapter two, we have the beginning of the letters to the seven churches, and that continues all the way through the end of chapter three. But this uh, introduction, I don't want to call it a prologue, but this introduction here is... uh, Very, very important for us, uh, not only in teaching us who Jesus is and why Jesus came, but teaching us how to read and understand the book of Revelation. Uh, There's a lot of mystery and mystique around the book of Revelation. Many times uh, the, the first book somebody wants to study is Revelation. Well, they're not quite ready for that. They need a little uh, basic grammar before they get to the meat and potatoes. But, uh, Pastor, what can you tell us here uh, just basically with regard to what these six verses teach us with regard to how to read and understand the book of Revelation?
1: Yeah, I think uh, really key are the first verses uh, where Christ says, um, John was given this vision to show the servants of Christ the things that must soon take place. In other words, describing what the life of the church is going to look like from the time of the ascension all the way until the time of Christ's second coming, or as often they are called, the last days, the time of the church. And that's the time that we're in right now. And so we have, uh, for example, we have suffering with plague, we have wars, we have poverty, we have all sorts of difficult things because of sin, and yet in the face of all those things, the church still exists and proclaims the word of God, and people are taken from this world to their eternal home. And that's the way it'll look all the way throughout the entire history of the world until Christ finally comes back, the trumpet sounds, and this world is uh, destroyed by fire, and the new world is made that we'll be
0: resurrected to live forever in. I don't have my Greek New Testament with me, and I believe it is in verse 3. It is often not translated. I, uh, I believe Beck's Bible is one of the few fairly common New Testament translations that actually translates it literally word for word. But I believe it's verse 3 that has the word sign or symbol in the uh, in the greek and that is often left off, left out of our english translations are you uh, are you scanning your uh, greek new testament there pastor
1: i am i i do not see that word
0: there it's um, in it's in one of the first 3 verses and i'm not i'll just keep talking while you uh while you're scanning but early on in the uh, revelation of saint john the uh, the Holy Spirit teaches us that many of the things that are to follow are not given in a uh, exact literal way. These are signs and symbols that are be, to be understood and unpacked by reading other places in Scripture. And uh, I don't know, it was twenty years ago or so, we had a. Uh, congregational study on the book of Revelation, and we started with a study of Genesis, then we did a study of Exodus, then we did a study of Isaiah, and then finally, after we did an in-depth study on those three Old Testament books, we probably should have done Daniel as well, maybe some of Ezekiel, then we uh, dove into Revelation, and I I was shocked and amazed at how, how easy it was for the people to put the pieces together with regard to what is written in the book of Revelation simply because they knew their Old Testament better. Has that been your uh, experience, Pastor, with, uh, with studying the book of Revelation? That understanding the Old Testament helps you
1: understand? Correct. Yes, I would say that's definitely the case because— um, a lot of the pictures and, and symbols that are in the book of Revelation are taken from the Old Testament. And I don't want to say it, it sounds like um, you know they're just copying and rewriting. <clears throat> That's not the case at all, but rather... Uh, God is using the same examples from the Old Testament to help us understand what's going to happen in the future. And in a certain sense, it's then saying that the same things that have happened in the past are going to keep on happening until the time that Christ returns again. And so that's that's just really the key here, and that's the reality of uh, uh, what's going to happen as well for all time. The same things that have always been happening keep on happening. Just now we have the promise of Jesus. And and To be fair, that promise of Jesus then overcomes all the suffering and struggles of this world and is the focus, right? The book of Revelation isn't a book of doom and gloom, but rather it's a book of hope for the Christian to know that because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, that um, we get... solution to get out of this
0: world a book of hope a book a book of joy a book of comfort and if it's taught to you in any way other than that uh run from that church that teacher that pastor because they don't understand that this book is all about jesus and we're going to get to that because that's what john teaches us here vicar in uh, verse four it says grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. We've got a lot of this kind of oddball stuff in the book of Revelation. Who is, who is John talking about? The one who is and was and is to come.
2: I would say here in this particular portion of the uh, apostolic salutation that he's talking about God the Father, but at the same time, Kind of going on a little further, he talks about the seven spirits who were before the throne and from Jesus Christ. So, really, he's not just talking about the Father. He's talking about the Son and the Spirit, the Holy Trinity.
0: He is... is, uh Very good that you unpacked that the way you did, because he is talking about the Holy Trinity, who was and is and is to come. That's a threefold way of talking about Yahweh. And then he unpacks that with God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. And so you have this Trinitarian language that is just exploding everywhere in the book of Revelation. Uh, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. How is Jesus a faithful witness, Pastor? Pastor?
1: Uh, he's a, that's in
0: verse 5.
1: Yeah, he's a faithful witness in the sense that um, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He he only can speak the truth. He is the word of God made flesh. Uh, he's even a witness in the sense that uh, uh, that word, uh, martyria, uh, is the word that's, that's what used I was going there. for. So thank and you. And that becomes the word that we use now as a. Uh, martyr, someone who dies
0: for the faith. And that's exactly what Jesus does on the cross as well. So he, we, we, this Trinitarian language just keeps going. Everything comes to us in threes. He's a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. So we have the, the martyr, the witness. We got Good Friday. The firstborn from the dead, we have Easter Sunday. The ruler of kings on earth, we have his glorious ascension where he sits and rules at the right hand of God. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. So we've got all this boom, threes, threes, threes coming at us here. Pastor, I think I think the most important line in our text, Revelation one, one to six, is at the end of verse five. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Why would I say that's the most important line?
1: Well, uh, those few words there are referencing and teaching us the justification of the humanity before
0: God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, and, and that's why it's so important. It is. Justification, justification, justification. Pastor, you see the time. Has made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. What is this kingdom of priests kind of language? We see this in Peter. We see this in the Old Testament. Uh, sometimes it is referred to as the royal priesthood. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of the phrase "the priesthood of all believers," but a lot of times people use that. What are we talking about? Is this saying we don't need pastors anymore?
1: Uh, no, it's not. Just uh, it's not even close to that. But rather, and I don't think even John would understand when we use the phrase priesthood of all believers or any of that stuff. Uh, What he's saying is that uh, by the justification earned on the cross, that now we are, again, God's kingdom. We get to inherit heaven. And as priests, uh, we also get to enter the holy places um, to be in the presence of God. That was the priest's job, to be the intermediary who could see stand before God. And
0: now, because of the blood of Christ, we get to do that also. And this is a good thing, not a controversial thing in the church. Rejoice in it. You are freed by his blood. Proclaiming the one majoring in the minors, St. John. We'll be right back after the break.
3: You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. You
0: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We are looking at St. John, Apostle and Evangelist, December 27 in the church year, church year calendar. Uh, in our first two segments, we did kind of an introduction to the Apostle John, and we looked at the gospel reading for this day, John 21, 20 to 25. In our third segment, we looked at the first reading, Revelation 1, 1 to 6. And now in our last segment, we want to look at our epistle reading, um, containing some extremely familiar words to uh, anybody who's ever worshipped in the Lutheran Church, uh, especially Divine Service 1 in LSB. We have 1 John 1, verse 1 through 2, verse 2. Vicar, take it away.
2: That which was from the
0: beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes,
2: which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world.
0: Holy Hoopman, we have a lot of different doctrines that are taught to us here in these um, first 12 verses of John's first epistle. The, uh, the first is kind of an introduction, kind of a... Um, Oh, a, a salutation, I think Vicar used earlier. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Pastor, how is that verse one uh, kind of a one-verse one summary of the prologue of the Gospel of John?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it uses the same language, even talks about the beginning and talks about the uh, eyewitnesses. So for example, John's gospel has John the Baptist, but also he oftentimes refers to himself as an eyewitness. But I I love the way that he writes this here too, because he says what we have seen, what we uh, have looked upon, what we have touched with our own hands. And so he definitely is a person that, with their own eyes, saw Jesus, life, death, and resurrection. But he's also bringing the church into it in the same sense that the entire church has seen that and brought it into their hands throughout the divine service, through the word, through the Lord's Supper, and through all those other things. And that's why he uses the word we there instead of just uh, John, you know, this is what I saw. He says, we have all
0: participated in that. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. That sounds kind of like a rough paraphrase of John one fourteen The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Uh, pastor, is that reading too much into this?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. I think, again, uh, that's what John's whole idea here, that's what John's wanting to make sure that we understand is that the life of Jesus is made manifest and uh, uh, we testify to it and proclaim
0: it to you through the word, which is uh, preached and read to you in the divine service. That's some, that kind of sums up the office of the holy ministry there. We see it, we testify to it, we proclaim it, and the purpose is for eternal life. Connecting the Son and the Father. Uh, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have, and then in verse 3, we have this word introduced to us, which is a major word throughout the remainder of our reading, so that you may have fellowship with us. What is this fellowship, Pastor, that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is teaching us?
1: Yeah, the word fellowship is an interesting word, isn't it? Uh, Because the word means a lot more than we probably understand here in English today. The word fellowship uh, is is oftentimes thought of as a communion. The Greek word is koinonia. Uh, and so in a sense, uh, the fellowship of the church is all the things that we hold together uh, and in common. And so it's talking about our theology, our doctrine. It's talking about the word that we preach and confess. It's talking about our sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. John is putting all these things together. And when you're a Christian, we hold all that together we believe that all we um, confess the same thing about it and and John is referring to that
0: idea here with that language uh, what about coffee and cookies after the divine service Uh, How does that tie into our fellowship?
1: Well, you know, as pious Christians, we've taken the word fellowship and applied it to that, but that's not the way the scriptures are speaking of it. Fellowship, in that sense, would be more like a snack uh, or a meal sort of thing, and and koinonia, fellowship in the scriptures, is much, much bigger than just a a snack
0: with someone. Verse 4 connects that koinonia, that fellowship, to joy— And verse 5, this is the message. So how is koinonia connected to a message, and how does koinonia built on this message produce joy? Well, um, our koinonia, our fellowship, is...
1: United in the message, right? So that's our theology and doctrine. The things that we believe is how we actually know we have fellowship. That's why to actually be in fellowship with someone, we have to talk about theology. We can't just avoid that topic and just hug each other and say, "Ah, oh, we'll just all get along. We actually have to talk about theology. Uh, the joy that comes out of that then is is really the joy that we hold a common confession of faith, namely that Jesus has bled and died for our sins, that we have eternal life in his name, and that uh, we are forgiven to live forever. And that's a pretty cool thing, and that joy is a joy that can be there in the midst of all the suffering and difficulties of this world. That joy uh, cannot be taken from us, even, uh, you know, as Luther said, take they our wives, good fame, child, and life, uh, though these
0: all be gone, our victims. Victory still is one that's the joy we're speaking of and this koinonia this fellowship based on this message that produces joy is is not just on paper this is this is something that is lived out in the real word through the teaching and through the living of the people of god If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. This walking in the truth, and it goes on and on here uh, about living the life that Christ has taught us, Not only uh, doing this, you know, a, a mental exercise or anything like this, this has real ramifications for how we live our lives today. Pastor, how is this life that we live a fruit of the koinonia that we share?
1: Well, um, the reason that we don't walk in darkness, or in other words, uh, live in open, unrepentant sin, is because uh, our theology teaches us that that's wrong. Uh, If Christ has died for us, how can we continue in sin, Paul says. Um, And and that's the reality of the Christian church. It doesn't mean we don't sin or that we're perfect or holy. That also would be, uh, as he says in a minute, a lie, making Christ a liar who says we are sinful. But we... Seek not to live in the open sin, and where we have sin, we confess it and are forgiven of it, and and that's a key thing here uh, for being a Christian. We're not just going to okay your sin if you come to Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and say, you know, that's the way God made you. It's okay. That's, first off, a lie. Second off, uh, it's not okay. It's sin. That's why Christ has come, to bleed and die for it, to set you free from it. You don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. You are a possession of God instead.
0: 2 verse 1 says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. We have other places in scripture that say, be holy, as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Anyone that would tell you that the Christian church teaches that you can live any way you want to does not know the scriptures and is a false teacher. The reason why we have church is so that we can rejoice in and proclaim the forgiveness of sins won by the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. First John 1 verse 7 is the key, I believe, to the entire corpus of John's writings. Uh, in verse 7 it says, The blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin." And then a little bit later on, 2 verse 1 says, We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ is the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for us, but for the sins of the whole world. Pastor, Jesus has paid for the sins of the whole world. Objective justification. When you believe it, Everything that Christ has done is appropriated by grace through faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, subjective justification. How is that the heart, core, soul, and center of the Christian faith and also these 12 verses that we're examining right now?
1: Uh, it's the center of the faith because it's the doctrine that properly puts Christ in the correct position as the sin sacrifice for us as individuals as well as for the whole world. The difference, of course, being between subject and objective is... Uh, faith that trusts that that's what Christ has done, or faith that rejects what Christ has done. If you trust that Christ has done that for you, then you are subjectively justified. If you reject that idea and tell God where to go, uh, then you are not justified, and there's the difference. It doesn't mean, it doesn't change what Christ has done, but rather it's our uh, rejection of it that's the real issue behind it.
0: Amen. And it is always, always, always about Jesus Not just uh, Jesus as example, Jesus as great guy, Jesus as perfect human being, but Jesus, God in the flesh, living, dying, rising for the forgiveness of sins, for the life of the world. Believe that, cling to that. He is your life and he is your light. This is the message of St. John. This is the message of the church. Vicar, you want to bring things to a close? The collect of the day for St. John Apostle and Evangelist Day.
2: Let us pray. Merciful Lord, cast the bright beams of your light upon your church that we, being instructed in the doctrine of your blessed Apostle and Evangelist John, may come to the light of everlasting life. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever
0: amen 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 for pastor moline and vicar Steele, i am pastor poppy thank you for tuning in today to proclaiming the one majoring in the minors saint john apostle and evangelist we'll be back again soon god's richest blessings in christ